Hi, my name is Matt Bertwistle from FND Hope UK and welcome to this interview with Dr. Kim Bullock of Stanford University. It was great to be able to interview Dr. Bullock on this topic of uh, the use of virtual reality uh, in the treatment of functional neurological disorders. Uh, Dr. Bullock is a thought leader in this area and at the moment is actually conducting a trial um, with sufferers of FND in America. Um, but the whole area of uh, virtual reality and, and the use of this technology in, in supporting the treatment is very, very new. Um, so I thought it was an interesting uh, time to have this conversation, uh, learn a little bit more about uh, how this, this technology is being used and what type of benefits uh, we can expect to see from, from the use and, and application of, of this technology in the treatment of functional neu neurological disorders. Let me hand over now to Dr. Kim Bullock. Um, so my name is Kim Bullock and um, I'm a board certified psychiatrist um, in the US and at Stanford in the outpatient uh, uh, department of psychiatry and behavioral sciences. So I have a subspecialty in neuropsychiatry and uh, behavioral neurology as well as lifestyle medicine and I direct um, now over the past year the virtual reality and immersive technology program that um, we just developed. Okay and and for us we're so excited to have you here to obviously to talk about um, this this fascinating area of, uh, of virtual reality and and the impact and, and benefits that it, it can potentially give to to treat um, patients who are suffering with FND and obviously it's got wider applications than, than just FND but obviously for ourselves that's that's where we're interested so um, just to begin with just explain to people um, what virtual reality is from a from a practical standpoint and I think you know if it is similar people are probably used to the idea of virtual reality headsets and maybe use Google Cardboard or things like that you know, is it the yeah. same as that? Is it what? Is it the same as that? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, uh, yeah, that's a, how do you describe it in just a few words? I don't know. It could mean a lot of things. To me, I, I think of it as a perceptual illusions that take you to another place or allow you to inhabit another body as well. So that's kind of a um, kind of quick way of describing what virtual reality is. But it's the use of perceptual illusions um, that are usually computer generated. Yeah, that's how I. Yeah, but I probably ask a hundred different people what the definition is, and you'll get a hundred different answers. But that's kind of the one that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and from from the from the practical application of that, um, as you mentioned, it's you know computer generated. Um, I, I guess the use of of the VR headsets that people might be familiar with, it's typically how you're going to engage in, in this sort of um, uh, process yeah. of, of virtual reality, isn't it? Yeah. And there's, there's been the traditional VR that's been around for like 20 years. That's the headset that just tracks kind of the X, Y, Z access, uh, um, axis of your head. Um, and it, and it feeds into what you see, but now um, in the last two years, why, you know, it's on everybody's radar is now that, you have the ability to track your body as well 
And so that's much more information coming from the real world in there. And it can create these more phenomenal, immersive like um, illusions, like you can um, have a body transfer experience into another type of body. Yeah. So, um, that's so you really feel as though you're, in, yeah, you really feel yeah, as though you're inhabiting that. An avatar, or yeah. you can be inside of something, you can be, tra it's, it's a fully more immersive experience than just, you know, kind of seeing, um, just having your head. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I think that's why it's more, you know, it's on everybody's radar more because of this new, and the gaming technology that allowed that. And now, you know, commercially available, you don't need a million dollar lab in order to um, have these kind of simulations. You can do it at home. Yeah. And, and let's just take it, take it back. So obviously we, we understand the concept of, of immersing yourself in a, in an experience such as that, a, a virtual uh, experience. Um, but what's, what's, what's the purpose for doing that? I mean, what's actually happening there in terms of, um, as the individual participating in, in that, um, situation, are you distracting yourself from what you would normally feel in, in a real world environment? What, what is it that we're actually trying to achieve by, by utilizing VR? Oh yeah, that's a good question. So. Well, for behavioral health purposes, I think there's a few different um, utilities or functions of um, VR. So uh, the first one would be something like just um, distraction itself. So distraction can allow you to tolerate a lot of um, things, painful procedures. Uh, you can um, tolerate um, uh, distress or certain emotions. It gives you a little bit of distance from them. So it is a, um, a, a kind of way to distract. And distraction is something we all do normally um, and it just allows you to do that. Um, and then I think the other thing is that uh, whatever you learn in an immersive environment, um, it enhances teaching. So you can teach something and you can have an interactive learning experience. So like a lot of behavioral health is actually teaching um, skills. So you can teach skills like mindfulness or diaphragmatic breathing, and people will retain it longer than if they're just listening to me drone on about something. If they're yeah. really in there um, and they're taken to another place and they can influence, it's different than watching a TV where you know, you're just very passive in this, you can actually interact. So it enhances um, whatever you're uh, teaching. Um, the other thing it can do is things um, like exposure, which is like habituation um, when, um, to things. So you can, um, another part of um, behavioral health often in, involves getting used to things, kind of like allergy, um, shots where you get a little bit of something that's bothering you over and over until it doesn't bother you anymore. Yeah. So if you're afraid of something, um, you could um, practice getting a little tiny dose of the uh, exactly precise customized thing that you're afraid of. Um, so you can do that um, with immersive technology. So you don't have to do it in the real world. Um, or you can practice it first instead of just practicing it in your imagination, which is what a lot of therapy has been about is helping people imagine going into this scenario when they leave the office with the dog they're afraid yep. of, let's say, 
um, this way they can imagine it, but then they can get even a fuller, more um, emotionally provocative, real experience by being in an immersive um, environment and seeing the dog. It's going to feel more real and they're going to habituate and that um, often can help people get to the next step, which is doing it in reality. So it, it's sort of an augmentation to imagination in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Your imagination. So, yeah, there's so, and, and there's, you know, I could go into a hundred other ways that we use it, but those are kind of the, the main enhancing um, education and distraction and exposure and habituation. Okay, so if I think about that from the point of view of obviously some of the symptoms that an FND sufferer would, would have, um, and if we took pain, for instance, because that's, you know, that's so common uh, among sufferers, um, and distraction is, is, is obviously one way of trying to um, overcome pain. Um, yeah, for the short term. For, this, for the short term, exactly. You, you know, people can have the experience of... Um, you know, watching something on the television and laughing about it. And when yeah. they're doing that, they're not feeling any pain because the body's and the mind is distracted. So I'm, I'm guessing that some of that immersive approach within VR would allow for that same type of um, experience to, to occur. Yeah, so you're talking about coping. Yep. So yeah, it can be used for coping with pain. Um, but the other novel use that we're looking into um, VR to do is um, using perceptual illusions to change motor and sensory um, sensations in the brain. And we're just starting to understand this. So the thing that I'm, I'm studying in the use um, is um, the use of virtual reality to deliver something called mirror therapy in which you, you swap your um, uh, the sides of your body. So when you move your right arm, you actually see your left arm move. And when you move your left arm, you see your right arm move. And um, there, uh, you can deliver this with just plain mirrors. And that's been uh, yeah. done for the last 20 years. And it's been shown to help with all sorts of motor and sensory um, problems that are on just one side of the body. So if somebody has a problem on just one side of the body, like stroke, um, weakness, um, uh, with, um, multiple sclerosis and having sensory symptoms, and it's only occurring on one side of the body, mirror therapy is a very evident, rigorously studied evidence-based intervention for a multitude of, of, um, one-sided motor and sensory um, neurological disorders. So we know, um, so we're just starting to see if we can um, use this and the evidence is starting to mount that you can deliver mirror therapy through virtual reality. So that's another use of oh, okay. using it as a perceptual, uh, using that perceptual illusion, it can deliver these, these sorts of motor and sensory interventions through perceptual illusions. We're also looking at um, uh, body dysmorphia and body dissatisfaction and it can um the other thing i forgot to tell you is it, it can with this these more immersive when you embody an avatar you can change implicit biases so you can you can change um your beliefs system um about a, a characteristic of your body or someone else so if you inhabit 
the body of um, somewhat of a different demographic um, and you, um, you feel like what it is to be like them, you're going to yep. change your um, unconscious bias against them. And we have a lot of data in the social sciences and, um, about that. So it's a way to implicitly reprogram the brain. Oh, right. Okay. So and you can also read in implicit reprogramming of all sorts of things. Yeah. Through okay. Because um, the, the thing that I, I had also kind of gathered from, from reading some of the, the papers that you've, you've published um, and the idea being that obviously once you've immersed yourself into the VR world, then the ability to um, carry out tasks that in the real world you might have difficulty doing again because of that distraction where so movement which might normally be an issue for you in the real world um you're able to actually do that more freer in the virtual world um and obviously you're in effect you're training the brain to get used to the to the movement um because you're you're actually you feel as though you're doing it basically i guess is is my simple way of describing that um but obviously what you're saying, there's, there's even a lot more that can be done that goes beyond just those simple things. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, yes, much more. And we're, we're exploring it. Um, okay, so let's talk, because I know you've got the, the trial that's going on. Um, do you want to just take us through what, what that trial is? What's the, what's the cohort that you've got there? Um, and what are the specific things that you're, you're actually looking to, to evidence through that trial? Yeah, and so I'm halfway through it. And because it's a blinded trial, I don't want to go into too many yeah. of the details <laughs> in case anybody who's listening and actually involved in the study, I don't want to um, compromise the blind. But we're really looking at two concepts. One, we're looking at mirror therapy and seeing if um, people with one-sided symptoms in FND whether um, their symptoms get better by um, receiving a mirror therapy type of intervention. Um, since a lot of the areas in the brain that seem to be affected um, in FND um, uh, patients are also seem to be affected um, uh, and normalized when you have mirror therapy. So we're looking to see one, is mirror therapy helpful? And then there's a second component we're looking at exposure and habituation and seeing if people have certain triggers for their symptoms, whether being exposed to them over and over, they can desensitize ah. using it. So there's, there's kind of uh, two treatment um, components, but um, it's a feasibility and, and safety. Uh, we're looking for um, efficacy, but um, we don't know. It's very exploratory is what I'm saying. And, um, I'm, I'm trying to be agnostic. Of course, we're doing, we're putting a lot of resources in it. So we think that there um, is a good chance that this could be helpful, but we are also scientists and we have to remain agnostic. I have no idea whether this is going to work. Yeah. I have to, um, I have to keep, keep that viewpoint. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so that's basically, so we've got a, a placebo arm and we have an active arm. Okay, okay. And that trial is just running this year, isn't it? It finishes December, uh, is it? Uh, well, yeah, we'll probably be closing out um, at the end of this year, but we're about halfway through. But we're taking 
for taking um, for recruiting. So. Oh, okay. So I didn't realize you was you were still recruiting for that. So. Oh if, yeah, yeah. So if any. Yeah. Oh, okay, so if anybody is watching this and is interesting, yeah. then they can contact you um, directly, I guess. Yes, yes. Clinicaltrials.gov also um, through the U.S. Um, has a site. So it requires eight sessions, um, and they can be done over one month, um, as short as one month, or over two months. So it's eight weeks, anywhere from four to eight weeks, but. Um, we require that you have eight sessions. Um, and then if a person ends up in the control uh, or in the placebo arm, we offer them at the end of the study that they can go into the active arm and, and receive it. Because we're having people come from far away. And so, if, you know, yes, be disappointed that they're in the placebo arm. But. <laughs> yeah, now I can, I can imagine, which is a great thing. Um, and I guess we should mention as well that obviously um, people would need to, to travel to, um, to you. <laughs> so it's, yeah, and they would need an assessment and a screening and um, yeah. to see that they qualify. So we, we have some inclusion and exclusion criteria. Yeah. Uh, but I'm hoping a lot of comorbid, uh, so people with FND, the epidemiology shows that they have some um, common comorbid psychiatric disorders like PTSD, anxiety disorders, depression, um, and many of these, and chronic pain, chronic regional, um, yeah. uh, chron uh, complex regional uh, pain syndromes. Um, and all of those um, also have respond um, to virtual reality interventions. So there's lots of rooms for applying virtual reality, even just to comorbid psychiatric disorders um, for people um, with FND that, that are well documented and that we know work, that aren't exploratory. Yeah, productive. yeah. Um, and and how, how long before you'll be able to um, analyze and, and report the results of the, of the trial? Um, <laughs> it depends on, yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, it depends on how quickly we get the data. We, we have some preliminary ana descriptive analysis. We didn't want to analyze uh, prematurely and biased ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it does look like on the Oxford handicap scale, when we um, look at the, just do a graph of people's outcomes, it does look like the active uh, treatment is separating from the placebo but I don't know it could all it could be chance yeah um, so it's not quantitatively um, but it was promising okay okay oh well I won't ask too many questions because I don't want to probe too much and put you in an awkward awkward yeah. position but I mean that's that's great that obviously this is going on I think it's it certainly is it's a fascinating area and um, I just, I mean, anything that sort of adds to our knowledge in, in this area and also gives some effective treatment outcomes, I think has to be applauded. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the key thing. Um, I just wanted to touch on a, on, a, on a couple of areas as well that, that I thought could be relevant to this conversation. Um, one is hypnotherapy. Um, and is there any relationship in terms of obviously the way that a virtual reality environment and, and an individual acts in that and and hypnotherapy because hypnotherapy has obviously been used for for many many years we're going back over 100 years um, and you know has a mixed reception amongst people but 
Are there any similarities between obviously what goes on when you're somebody who's under hyp hypnosis and what's going on within virtual reality? I think so. And I'm not an expert on hypnosis. I don't even do hypnosis, so, uh, but I, I know a little bit about it. Um, but yeah, I think hypnosis, you have enhanced attention control. And so when you go into immersive environments, your attention is controlled in a sense. Yeah, yeah. And it, it can get you to, to focus um, with a kind of laser focus and attention. Um, it's enhanced. Um, so I think in both environments, when you're hypnotized and when you're in VR, your attention goes up and your concentration goes up. Um, I think to imagery. So, um, uh, so often hypnosis asks you to imagine things and bring yourself to another place. Yep. And this is a more passive way of doing hypnosis in a sense, because it creates the image for you. So your imagination doesn't have to do it. So it's an augmentation to your, yeah, it's a leap. It's a lazy hypnosis. Say. <laughs> yes. And and, and require so much effort. So. Yes. No. Okay. Which we, I, again, I, I think that's that's yeah. that's fascinating. Um, that some of the outcomes that people may read about in terms of hypnosis, it could be some of the things that could be anticipated from from VR. The other. Yeah, and I find is people often like with traumatic brain injuries, or some people just can't do hypnosis. Yeah. You know, they don't. You're not not hypnotizable, and so this could uh, perhaps help those people that can't um, do hypnosis. And there's areas in the probably prefrontal cortex that are involved with your ability um, to do this, and it could enhance that for some people. Yeah, um, has has there been any studies done in terms of imaging of the brain? I suppose it's difficult to do in the virtual reality, you know, just because of all the hardware and everything, but. When somebody is, is in a, a VR environment, what's the brain activity? Are the different parts of the brain being triggered within that than would normally be experienced in a physical world? Or are we still unknown in that? Yeah, not in behavioral health. I haven't, yeah, we're still very much on the brink of it. And it, um, no, so I am not aware of any studies um, in which... Um, there's been imaging done um, for a behavioral health intervention. Although um, VR is being used in neuroimaging studies, even here at, at Stanford, as um, um, to elicit like certain emotions yeah. uh, and things like that. But the mechanism of VR hasn't been studied, but it's being used to um, do studies on other things. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does do. Because where I'm going with this is I'm just wondering because obviously neuroplasticity um, and trying to regain that in terms of, of movement, which is what obviously physiotherapy treatment is doing within the treatment of, of FND, whether we can try and make some correlation with the VR world and what's going on there and how that, that can assist. Well, we know mirror therapy um itself, which is a virtual therapy, really a very basic yeah. virtual reality therapy that's been studied. There's a lot of neuroimaging data, which shows that, um, interestingly, the motor pathway, the M1, it on the same side as where the deficit problem is strengthens that pathway. 
and it also increases um, attention and control in the in the brain as a whole. And so we we have a lot of data on neuroimaging from mirror therapy. Um, so the, that's where the hope um, that this neuroplasticity um, uh, can come about. We know there's a lot of homuncular flexibility, this area of the sensory motor cortex strip um, that you can learn how to use different body parts. Like you can learn to use a, and control a tail when you're in um, an avatar. So we, we've got documentation that uh, people um, can like learn to be an eight eight-armed lobster and things like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So we know there's plasticity in our motor reprogramming. Yep. Yep. Uh, there's evidence of that. And with mere therapy, this these changes last. So you can amputate a phantom limb permanently. So th- there's the hope that we can do something permanently. It's not just a, a, a temporary change. Yeah, and, and I guess that's, that's obviously people watching this or listening to this will be wanting to hear that that's it's a long term isn't it? if we're doing this is it going to stick so if i if i'm having you know a functional weakness that says I'm, I'm not able to to move my leg if i'm in vr and i'm actually doing that will that then help me in the real world and stick <laughs> yes and that's that's what i'm very interested in to find yeah out. yeah the the other the other question that i wanted to put to you was the relationship of what goes on in terms of um, VR treatment and how that would be supportive to say CBT um, because I'm guessing that a lot of, of ideas and, and conversations that happen within a CBT therapy can be reinforced by by the use of VR is, is that correct yes yes so I see so most of the studies in behavioral health um, are CBT studies that use VR. So I think of it VR as a tool within, within CBT. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, I have a chair or I have some Kleenex in the room. <laughs> yep. You know, that's a tool of psychotherapy and the VR is just another tool um, that we can use yep. in the room. Okay, and I'm conscious of, of, of time, so I don't want to take up too much more, but I will ask the uh, the question that I, I can hear a lot of people asking me now <laughs> in my own yeah, mind, which right. is, if if I went out and bought a VR handset, um, would it be, you know, could I use it myself? Could I actually gain any benefit from this? And obviously there's, there's a whole range of, you know, there's VR videos that you can get on iTunes, there's headsets that you can buy relatively cheaply. You can go all the way up to the Oculus Rift um, very expensive computer gaming type of environment. Um, but for, for individuals who might want to dip their own toe in the water and explore VR, is it, is it worthwhile them trying to do that? Or as you were saying before, it's, it's a tool within CBT. Are they better off just working with a CBT specialist and maybe trying it within that environment? Oh, that's a good question. Well, um, if they're interested in like something like the more exploratory thing, like um, mirror therapy, unfortunately, there's no um, commercially available mirror therapy in VR. Yeah. But I would really oppress people who are having unilateral pain or sensory problems to get their team of um, physicians to order them 
mirror therapy and try that um, because I think it's underutilized. People forget, at least in the States, um, there's a lot of evidence to, um, that it's helpful and it doesn't get used. So um, I would say don't, you know, uh, there's more bang for your buck to go out and try mirror therapy than to try some gaming console in, in that regard. Um, and then for exposure therapy, yes, but I think you need to have a clinician help you and customize it and um, have it be part of your therapy and your homework and your, your habituation process. But usually people, unless I guess you're doing a self-help book or something and you want to um, challenge yourself with the triggers and you feel skilled enough to do that, I guess you could you know, customize and go on YouTube VR 360 and find exactly what your trigger is and help you do that. But usually you need a coach and a, a mental health provider that's working with you to really get yeah. good outcomes to do that. Yeah. So, uh, but if you want to have fun with it, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the other thing is that there's, there's very Just little... There is, there, there is no fun in F FND normally. So to find a, a treatment that you, you can actually get, enjoy it because it's, you know, it's a bit of a blast. I'm sure that, you know, the programs that you're yeah. working with, um, that's part of the experience as well. It's not, not there to hurt somebody. <laughs> you can actually enjoy well, it. The way we're delivering it, though, is not fun. Okay, right. So I do say, so the mirror therapy and exposure therapy actually isn't fun at all. But you could use it for fun and you could use it to increase uh, pleasant activities and combat um, um, uh, avoidance and not, um, and not enough pleasure in your life. And it, um, it, for people that are depressed, they often stop doing pleasant activities. So you could add it maybe as something that's fun to do. But I do want to emphasize that the way that we're using it right now is not fun. Maybe for psychoeducation or something, we could make it fun. But there's there's not the kind of people. There's not the gaming component into it right ah, now. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Again, I won't probe too much because, um, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, and but, exposure therapy is not fun. If anyone's done exposure therapy, they know it's not fun. Right. But it's it, it's very effective. But it's yeah. It's like chemotherapy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I th I think that's that's a great place for us to 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 wrap up. Um, it's been a, a fascinating 30-minute journey. Um, I'm sure that we'll probably get a lot more questions coming our way, so maybe we, we, we do another follow-up later, later on. Um, but if anybody's actually wanting to read a little bit more about, about your work, where's the best place for them to go and, and do that? Yeah, um, I guess on our website, on the website at Stanford, um, unfortunately, I'm not publishing as much as I should. I've got about like four different papers I'm working on, but and I don't know for for the lay person, there's not really a lot out there. Um, uh, but you could go to our website at Stanford and just look up my name, Kim Bullock Stanford, yeah. and um, there's papers and um, clinic descriptions, and uh, we have an FND program, um, and you can look under our FND program that has. Um, uh, some information, but um, yeah, this is still in very early phases. Um, the the virtual reality, um, so um, still very uh, preliminary. Yeah, so keep watching this space. We'll see what yeah. happens over the next twelve months. But it's exciting yeah. times. Um, Kim, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today. Really do appreciate it, um, and look forward to um, to speaking with you again soon. Yeah, thanks for what you do. Thank yeah. you.
Okay, bye-bye.